Good morning and welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, for unbelievers, for people of all faiths and for people of no faith and would like to join me for a little Bible study. Now in case you've just joined us, we have been studying the Gospel of Matthew and the word gospel means good news and we don't know too much about this character Matthew. He seems to have been a tax collector but the bottom line is this, that we're studying the good news about a man named Jesus Christ uh, written up for us by a man named Matthew who was under the guidance of God as he wrote. Now, um, what do we mean good news about Jesus Christ? Well, every one of us faces a certain reality, and the reality is this, everybody sins without exception, including me, and everybody dies. It's not death and taxes, it's sin and death that's part and parcel of who we are as human beings. It's also taught to us in the book of Revelation that nothing unclean can enter into heaven. So sin makes us unclean in the sight of God. So the good news is this, that Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and for my sins. And by dying, he destroyed our death. By rising, he restored our life. And we look for him to come in glory. So it is in Jesus Christ, that you and I are acceptable to God and will see the face of God and live forever. And that's why it's good news for us. Now, the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel is terribly boring for most people. It's a long, long, long genealogy. No, this one begat, this one begat, this one begat, this one. And most people get, I'm sure, turned off by that. But not to worry. Matthew's purpose was much the same as somebody showing you a family photograph album. They want you to know a little bit about the history of their family. Well, Matthew then is determined to show us that Jesus, the Son of God, had his human origins as a son of David and a son of Abraham. In other words, Jesus was rooted in Judaism. He was rooted in the chosen people, the people of God. What's different about this extraordinary genealogy in Matthew is that four, five women are mentioned in it, and this is highly unusual, that I know of all the other genealogies in the Bible never mention the women. Um, but here we have Matthew, who was a first century Orthodox Jew, mentioning uh, five women in the genealogy of Jesus. And four of these women are very extraordinary women uh, in the sense that one of them, for instance, dressed up as a prostitute and seduced her own uh, father-in-law. Another one was a prostitute. Um, then another one, Ruth, was a Gentile. And then there was a married woman who was publicly uh, taking a bath in a place where she could be seen and committed adultery with King David, the second king of Israel. Very unusual women. But all of this is preparing us, or was preparing us, for the most unusual woman of all, Mary. She is to give birth to Jesus the Christ. And that's what we studied last week, the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary 
and asked her to be the mother of the all-holy God, she simply replied and said, how can this be? How can a mere woman be the mother of God? And she was told that, yes, it is humanly impossible, but that the Spirit of God would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. Hence, the Holy Child to be born from her would be called Son of God. And that's what we studied this week. Most people, even unbelievers, would be aware that Jesus was born of a virgin in the stable of Bethlehem in Judea. Now, we're going now to the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and I'm going to read a little bit. It takes up the visit of the Magi, or most people refer to them as the wise men. In all probability, they were not three kings, even though there's a Christmas carl that says, We three kings of Orient are. In all probability, there were men who studied the stars. Now listen, please. After Jesus had been born at Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, some wise men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the, where is the infant king of the Jews, they asked. We saw his star as it rose and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and so was the whole of Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. At Bethlehem in Judea, they told him, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men to see him privately. He asked them the exact date on which the star had appeared and sent them on to Bethlehem. Go and find out all about this child, he said, and when you have found him, let me know, so that I too may go and do him homage. Having listened to what the king had to say, they set out, and there in front of them was the star they had seen rising. It went forward and halted over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with delight, and going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling on their knees, they did him homage. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, but they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and return to their own country by a different route. Now, this is a kind of a fascinating passage. Um, Matthew has Jesus be born in a house, which is very interesting, while Luke had him be born in a stable at Bethlehem. Which one is true? I have no idea whatsoever. Um, but the fact is, both of them are telling us, <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus the Christ was born in Bethle Bethlehem of Judea. And the name Bethlehem again means the house of bread. Now these astrologers who came to see uh, Jesus, a lesson is learned here for anybody who wants to see it. These astrologers or wise men would be modern day Iraqis. So from the very beginning, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, came for everybody. 
Now, later on in history, um, the Jews will think that Jesus is just for them. But from the very beginning, we have three astrologers from the East, as I say, in all probability, people from Iraq and Iran arrive to see the newborn king of the Jews. So whoever you are, uh, Jesus came for you. And then we're told that when they arrived in Jerusalem, that Herod was deeply disturbed. You'd wonder why, wouldn't you? You know, Jesus had come to establish a kingdom of hearts. He wanted to rule in the hearts and minds of people. But this Herod is frightened in some strange way or other that this Jesus is going to take his kingdom away from him. I don't know what's going on with him, really. But anyway, he uh, says to the wise men that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, according to the prophecy, and that they should go and find out everything there had to be known about the child, for he too wanted to worship him. It's a lie, really. He didn't. He wanted to kill him. In the same way as you have politicians today uh, reading their Bibles and saying they believe in Jesus, and then turning around and spending millions and millions and millions of dollars killing children. And that's what they're doing. They're killing children. It's absolute murder. Well, they're doing this no different from Herod of old, who had children slaughtered at the time of Jesus, hoping at the same time to kill Jesus himself. But back to our point. The point is that the Magi, the wise men, the foreigners, arrived from the ends of the earth uh, to worship the Christ, and he welcomes all who come to see him. There's an extraordinary passage in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 10, uh, this is now later on when Jesus has grown up. He has died and rose from the dead, and now his apostles are spreading the message of salvation. And Peter, uh, the, the prince of the twelve apostles, it believes that the Christian message is only for the Jews, and it's going to take a miracle to convince them otherwise. And the miracle takes place in the following manner. Uh, one day Peter went to the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray, and he felt hungry and was looking forward to his midday meal. But, but before it was ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven thrown open and something like a big sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained every possible sort of animal and bird, walking, crawling, and flying ones. A voice then said to him, Now, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter answered, Certainly not, Lord. I have never yet eaten anything profane or unclean. Again, a second time, the voice spoke to him, What God has made clean, you have no right to call profane. This was repeated three times, and then suddenly the container was drawn up to heaven again. Now, here is... Peter, and we consider him as Catholics to be the first pope. Thou art Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He believed that the Christian message was only uh, for the Jews, and God taught him by means of this vision. Here is this great big canvas sheet let down from heaven, and Peter is told, kill and eat. He said, no way, no way, absolutely not, nothing unclean 
has ever passed my lips. And God said, don't you dare, don't you dare call and clean what I have made. And shortly after this, Peter stood up in the house of a pagan and he said, I begin to see how true it is that God shows no partiality that any man of any nation who fears God and acts uprightly is acceptable to him. Now that's a profound teaching there. There are people running around the world saying, well, if you don't uh, believe in Jesus Christ, you can't be saved. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's a lot of old rubbish, and it simply isn't true. Um, he says it right here, any man of any nation who fears God and acts uprightly is acceptable to him. If somebody doesn't know about Jesus Christ, you know, then how can you say that they are unacceptable or that they are damned? You know, Jesus can save you whether you know him or not. Let me give you a very human example. One day I was giving testimony uh, in a in a deposition before a lawyer and during a break the stenographer said to me um, do you have to know Jesus Christ to be saved and I said no I don't think so because uh, let me give you a human example first uh, I said supposing you and I are next-door neighbors and we're enemies we don't speak to one another and then supposing one day I'm standing by my swimming pool, which I don't have, but supposing I am, and I have an epileptic seizure, and in the process I fall into my swimming pool. Now, if somebody doesn't help me, I'm going to drown. Now, supposing you, who are my next-door neighbor, you jump over the fence and drag me out of the pool and leave me by the side of the pool and then go back in and call 911. Uh, something of that nature. Now, you can't stand the ground that I walk in, but nonetheless, you have saved me from drowning. And I don't even know it's you. And maybe nobody ever tells me it was you. Well, in the same way, you know, Christ, who is God, and to God nothing is impossible, he can save anybody. He can save a devout and sincere Hindu, a devout and sincere Buddhist, a devout and sincere atheist who are doing the best they can and if they're acting uprightly then they're acceptable to him now you can fight with this all you want to but it's right here in the Christian scripture and if you want to know the exact reference it's in the Acts of the Apostles chapter 10 verses 34 and 35 listen to it again then Peter addressed them these pagans the truth I have now come to realize he said is that God does not have favorites but that anybody of any nationality who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him so the great message then of the appearance of the Magi the wise men from the East is that Christ Jesus came for everybody without exception, whether they know him or not, or whether they believe in him or not. And then on going into the house, the Magi, the wise men, saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees, they did him homage. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and return to their own country by a different way. There's a 12th century play um, 
that says the names of the wise men were Caspar, Melchior, and Belshazzar. It's now become a tradition to call them by these names, but we really have no idea what their names were. However, we do know that they brought the Christ child the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts are what I would call prophetic gifts. They're all pointing to something in the future. Now, let's think about gold for a minute. Um, gold would be a gift, I suppose, given to a king. Now, Jesus was not going to be a king who had guns and bombs and dangerous toys. You would wonder why Herod the Great was afraid of Jesus, how this helpless child uh, born in a stable was threatening his kingdom. Later on, when Jesus is a grown man and he's brought before the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, Pilate says to him, are you a king? And Jesus, using my own words, said, do I look like a king to you? All beaten and bruised and battered. My kingdom, said Jesus, is not of this world. So what kind of a king is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the king of hearts and the king of minds. Now, what does all that mean? Well, let me put it to you this way. It is because of Jesus Christ that I am on the air at this moment uh, making this broadcast to you or to anybody who wants to listen. This Jesus rules and governs my life. What I say, what I do, even what I think. I am, if you like, married to Christ. Christ is, as the years pass by, is taking possession of me. He is my king. Um, Jesus uh, said he was a king so much that Pilate wrote over his head as he was dying on the cross in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, Jesus the Nazarene king of the Jews. You can almost visualize his executioners going up and looking at him and say, the king of the Jews, you don't look like no king to me. So when one of the wise men gave him the gift of gold, it was a prophetic gift that Jesus would be lifted up on the cross as the king of the Jews. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, uh, so Jesus was lifted up from the earth on the cross, and he has drawn all mankind to himself. The next king brought the gift of frankincense. Now, frankincense is incense. When incense is burnt on, I would say, hot charcoal, the smoke of the incense rises up towards the heavens. So incense is a symbol of prayers rising up to God. In the book of Revelations, it says, the prayers of the saints arises like incense in the sight of God. What did the king mean by giving Jesus as an infant the gift of incense? Well, Jesus was going to offer his whole life to God on the cross of Calvary as a sweet-smelling incense, if you like, to God. Jesus lived a life of total obedience and when it came to the very last moment of his life, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And we are told in the gospel, at that moment the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and Jesus entered into the heavenly sanctuary, 
a sanctuary not made with hands. And he entered in where even now at this moment he is before the face of God making intercession for us who remain here on the earth and we're still on the journey towards heaven. So the gift of frankincense then prophesied that Jesus would be the priest. Now the last gift was the strangest of all, the gifts of the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was an embalming agent. In one of the Gospels it, ref it says that when the Sabbath was over, this is the Sabbath after the death of Jesus on the cross, some women brought myrrh and aloes and went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. I hope you picked up on the word myrrh there mirror the embalming agent. Now, a strange gift to give to a child. I imagine if mirror was brought to our parents when we were born, our parents might have thought that somebody was trying to put a curse on the newborn child. But this gift, too, is a prophetic gift because not alone was Jesus a king and a priest, but he's also the victim for our sins. Jesus carried upon his shoulders the sins of all mankind. He was the divine scapegoat. So mirror pointed to the fact that Jesus was to be the victim for our sins, the lamb that God provided for us on Mount Calvary. We're told next then that after the uh, wise men gave their gifts to Jesus, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and return to their own country by a different way. Now, if you happen to be an unbeliever and somehow or other a miracle is happening to you at this time that through the foolishness of my preaching here on this program, you're beginning to believe in Jesus Christ, then you too, if you like, will go back to your own country by a different route. In other words, your behavior uh, the way you live will change radically and change tremendously because now that Jesus is your king, uh, then he will influence all that you say, all that you do, and all that you are. Now going back again to Matthew chapter 2 verse um, 13, after the wise men had left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother with you and escape into Egypt and stay there until I tell you because Herod intends to search for the child and do away with him. So Joseph got up and, taking the child and his mother with him, left that night for Egypt where he stayed until Herod was dead. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, and in Bethlehem and its surrounding district he had all the male children killed who were two years old or under, reckoning by the date he had been careful to ask the wise men. It was then that the words spoken to the prophet Jeremiah were fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and loud lamentation. It was Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Now here we have the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, having to fly into Egypt because the wicked king Herod intended to kill Jesus, the Christ child. Does it remind you of anything? At an earlier time um, 
in history, the Jewish nation uh, went down into Egypt and remained there about 470 years or something like that. And they went down to escape from famine in Israel. Now, later on in history, Egypt in the person, or Israel in the person of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go down into Egypt to escape the persecution of a wicked king. The story of uh, the liberation of God's people out of bondage in Egypt is found in that extraordinary book, the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Scriptures. God raised up a Messiah named Moses, and Moses went to Pharaoh, and he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Eventually, uh, in the power of God, Moses led the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea into the Sinai Desert. In the Sinai Desert, God uh, fed them with a mysterious food called manna, and he gave them the Torah, or the law. Eventually, this people, whom God married by means of the Torah and the manna, uh, crossed the final Jordan into the Holy Land. Now, in the same way, Israel, in the person of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, are called out of Egypt again. And so they come out of Egypt and, if you will, cross the Jordan and they settle down again in the Holy Land, in the city of Nazareth. When Jesus is of age later on in history, he will feed his people with the good news and he will feed them with him food, his own body and blood, which he gave to us at the Last Supper. Now, what's all this got to do with you and me? Well, you and I, too, were born as slaves, not in Egypt, um, not in Israel, but we were born as slaves of sin. We were born with the blood of Adam and Eve running in our veins, the blood of disobedience. And if you don't believe that, name me any adult person who has not sinned on the face of the planet at this moment. And why is it that we have a tendency to lie, to make excuses, to steal, to be selfish, to be jealous, to be envious? We have a tendency to sin built into us, just as we have a tendency to speak a given language built into us when we are children. This tendency the church calls original sin. In other words, we're born and we have a built-in flaw. Our intellect is darkened, our will is weakened, and our passions incline us to sin. Now, along comes Jesus, our Messiah, and he says to, not Pharaoh, but he says to the devil, the prince of darkness, let my people go. And eventually, Jesus, through the ministry of his priests, will lead his people out of bondage of sin through the waters of baptism into his church. And in the church, he will feed them with the new manna, the body and blood of Christ, and he will feed them with the gospel message. Hopefully, you and I then, after our period of wandering in the desert that is this world, will cross the final Jordan into the promised land, which is heaven. A story to finish. 
Do you remember when you were a child how you loved to hear a story before you fell asleep? Even today, children love to hear a story, despite radio and television. If you give them a chance, they will ask you, Please, Dad. Please, Mom. Please, Granny, tell me a story. There is your child in bed with a favorite doll or teddy bear beside the curly head on the pillow, waiting for your story. You tell the tale. An old, old one with a terrible dragon or a horrible stepmother or a ferocious wolf or with children left behind, lost in the forest. Your child is listening, knowing that there will be a turn in the story at a certain point. The dragon will be killed, the stepmother will change, the wolf will be shot, the children will find their way home, helped by the birds. If you change your story and the dragon is not killed, or the prince does not meet the princess, you will be told, it's wrong, you're told it wrong, it's not like that. Children like to hear before the day, with all its troubles is over, that in the end all will be well. Isn't that the story of Jesus on the cross and his final resurrection? Of course it is. In the end all will be well, and for you too. My name is Patrick J. O'Doherty. Shalom. <laughs>